the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 416. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Uh, J.U. And then James Koo on the podcast for today. Great to have you guys here. Um, Jay, maybe start with you. Where do you fit into this world of uh, tech in New Zealand? Well, um, I was fortunate enough and lucky enough to be um, running one of the fastest growing student platform in New Zealand, along with James. Um, I'm the guy that started, no more a CEO, that's James. Um, and I take most of the internal stuff, so that's, I guess, where I fit in, the tech yeah. market. Yeah, cool. So Jay's currently the managing director and I'm, and I'm currently the CEO of Niche. Cool, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about uh, Niche during the episode and just to understand what you know what this platform is all about mm-hmm. and uh, you know why people are starting to pay attention and certainly noticed a bit of uh, you know a bit of coverage across uh, media. It seems like uh, you know you, you're doing some things right. You obviously got some <laughs> uh, some good investment there uh, as as well. So some you know some some pretty positive uh, indicators. But let's jump into uh, to the topics today. We're going to be uh, talking about a, a, a bunch of different things, uh, but first up, three uh, D printed motorbikes. Now, interesting. <laughs> not an area that I had particularly followed. I got to say, yep. uh, but uh, this was this was covered uh, on on TV. Uh, I think uh, you know T- TVNZ uh, did did a story about this, which, which uh, somebody, uh, in fact, it was my wife Selena, picked up on and uh, and and sent me and I thought hey this is actually this is really cool and it's a good uh, you know a good use case for uh, bringing 3D printing in mm-hmm. and the um, the company involved is a firm called uh, Engrich in uh, Upper Hutt they're an engineering firm and they've been using, uh, by the looks of it, sort of CNC uh, machines, which of course have been around for, uh, you know, a, a, you know, quite a number, quite a number mm-hmm. of of, uh, of years. And you know, the CNC machine allows you to, you know, design something up using, uh, you know, that uh, the you know, 3D CAD type software. Mm-hmm. And then you know, take a bit of metal and cut out the bits you don't want, and, yeah. and end up with uh, end up with a result. Uh, but but what I liked about uh, you know Engrich is that they seem to have found an, an opportunity to build really high end motorbikes. Mm-hmm. I'd call them high end anyway. Yeah. I'm sure they're you know they're, they're maybe there are higher higher levels, but they're talking about uh, manufacturing you know exclusive uh, motorbikes. Mm-hmm. That are you know custom designs selling around a quarter of a million dollars mm-hmm. a piece, uh, and getting into that uh, that that market um, you know mid next year. So you know they've already been working on it a number of years, but they're mm-hmm. saying that the 3D printing element of yeah. it uh, has really allowed them to accelerate. So they're a couple of years ahead of where they would have been without that ability to prototype and uh, and and generate um, you know the the motorcycle parts. And it, you know, it looks like even down to sort of building uh, building. Building engines from from uh, what we saw there anyway. Um, mm. You both watched the video. Yeah. What, what, do, what do you what do you think? I mean, I think there's definitely a market for it. Um, I mean, I, I know that a lot of people pay a lot of money to buy expensive cars, uh, motorbikes. Is it's no one to be best toys that that a lot of people wants to own. Mm. So definitely, I think it's a good idea. Um, I'm just curious to see how 3D printing plays a part in that field uh, but 
yes, it, it is definitely a fascinating business, yeah. I reckon. And 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 one of the questions I actually had right after watching the video was: is is literally every single part of that motorbike printed by the 3D printer? Well, I guess that there might be some standard parts that mm-hmm. you know you would use standard yeah, parts, yeah. but I mean it depends how custom they want to mm-hmm. be, right? The more you three D print, mm-hmm. you know, potentially the higher the cost is because you've actually got to you know design something and 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 produce it. There might be some parts that it you know I mean totally makes sense to you know I guess things like a a brake cable, right? You're probably not yeah. going to you know three D three D print that <laughs> uh, spark plugs and so on. So there, yeah. there are elements yeah. where you're going to use what's 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 available, mm. um, but we look at Rocket Lab, and and you know part of their success comes down to them having rethought the process of how you produce a rocket, including yeah. the 3D printed Rutherford engine, right? And so you know the the that that fresh thinking, the uh, you know an innovative uh, approach yeah. that sometimes we take here in New Zealand because you don't necessarily have easy access to mm. other things that are available if you're in a bigger market you might just think oh we'll get that part from you know Somebody from that else, company yeah. that's you know across town or mm. in another city or a state we can just easily get that in yeah. in New Zealand you might be thinking oh that's going to be difficult to uh, to get you know let's produce our own and it, we've also seen uh, the approach of Tesla, mm-hmm. who have you know to a to a much bigger degree than a traditional uh, auto manufacturer, have looked to custom create things rather than than necessarily follow the approach that uh, that the the auto industry traditionally took of you know of going to you know certain standard suppliers. Now there are parts where they have used you know other um, you know or traditional suppliers to provide mm-hmm. certain things and. You know, I imagine, you know, probably airbags would be one of those things that you don't just want to start, oh, we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll just whip up our own airbags. That'll be, you know, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be sweet. Custom design. Um, you know, you want, to, you want to be careful on, the, on those safety elements. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you just might not have the, the research and development budgets yeah. to create everything from scratch. Mm. But, you know, there, there certainly have been things when, you know, reading this, the, the story of, uh, of Tesla where yeah. they have sort of, you know, thrown out some traditional approaches and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and started from scratch. And, and that's where applying that sort of, um, you know, agile tech startup type uh, mentality can help. But yeah. there can be two sides to that as well. And, uh, you know, before we started, we, we, we were talking uh, a little bit around, uh, you know, having w- how much confidence would you have in this? Company yeah. that's just produced its its sort of first um, you know entry into into a market mm. uh, with a motorbike, right? Especially and then, with an order that you've just custom ordered, so it's never been yeah. tested before in the market. Right? So no one's ever ridden that exact same model of your bike. So how do you how do you guarantee the quality and the safety of well, such a bike? Part of that's the attra- the attraction, isn't it? It's mm. just the that, hey, this is so cool because no one no one else has had it. You would certainly expect it to go mm. through a you know a a level of testing. Mm. And if you know, I guess if you're buying from a, a reputable company that that manages to sustain itself, yeah. uh, then you can always go back to them, and you know you'd I yeah. guess have some level of warranty. But yeah, there's a big difference to to going to you know an an established motorcycle uh, brand, you know, one of these ones that does sort of you know custom mm. you know hot rods and th- you know those sorts of things out of say the US uh, or a, or a big 
you know a BMW or you know other other you know uh, manufacturer mm-hmm. versus something like this that's custom. But you know, I think people are also willing to take some risk to have something that's really unique and that you know maybe no no nobody else in the area yeah. has. And I guess then you've got the the you know further down that sort of uh, extreme and risk point would be you know going and and dropping some money and something on Kickstarter. But I, I would pick that this sort of quarter million dollar price point is is, is maybe a bit higher than we'd normally see on Kickstarter. Oh, no, so. Than your average Kickstarter <laughs> campaign, yeah, probably. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, it, it is... Um, it is it is cool to see you know something being done that's that's high end. It, it looks to me like they're doing it alongside what their their, their firm already does. Mm-hmm. So you know it, it, it's probably been sort of a, a well you know on the video uh, you know it was talked about being a, a labour of love. So something they've done mm-hmm. alongside their core business. Yeah. But then they're they're, they're going to be able to turn that into yeah. a you know potentially a very strong uh, revenue stream on yeah. on its own. I see yeah, Callahan uh, Innovation have been. Um, Involved. Uh, involved in there. Yeah. Uh, I think the intriguing well. thing that I find from the video that we watched before was how the technology of 3D printing literally pushed forward their whole business plans by two years, right? Mm. It enabled them to pretty much cut two years from their whole development. And although these kind of customized bikes are costing in the 250,000s, I mean, for some people, obviously, that's just a. Um, probably just a toy purchase I'm but, sure there um, will be a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what sure I would actually yeah but what I would be really interested in seeing is how this technology can be applied to actually bring more efficiencies to the cost of production just across the whole industry so like we're talking like just not just motorbikes but even cars and even maybe construction in terms of houses as well because um, I think we were talking about it before as well um, and New Zealand's cost of construction is I think double the average of other countries right now yeah um, so Stephen Tyndall was was quoted a few days ago uh, you know talking about the, the mm-hmm. you know what it costs to build homes uh, in in New Zealand and um, yeah he, he highlighted the fact that it, it's around double what it is in, in many many other countries yeah. and and there's probably there's well there's, there's a whole lot of you know factors behind that you know it's a distance to get materials here mm-hmm. uh, so for instance you know a, a very well-known uh, product within our New Zealand homes is uh, is, is jib board yeah uh, it's it's a very expensive uh, item here locally yet in in other markets it's you know, it's a it's a fraction, you know, of the price, partly to do with scale and uh, and 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 so on. Um, and it does seem there are some products, you know, um, you know, another product that's been around in New Zealand, probably well known by a lot of listeners, is, is Pink Bats as well. Pink bats. Um, uh, I think that's made made by um, who's that made by. Uh, is a Tasman building products. So I, you know, forget the, these brands because not a mm-hmm. an area I'm I'm generally involved in um, these days. But yeah, there are there are some you know there've been some sort of challenges with sometimes having um, you know sufficient competition in yeah. in these areas, and you know then obviously we've got varying uh, government challenges, local government type, mm. you know, things to uh, to get through in terms of resource consents and 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 so on. And you know, I think it's open open to some debate as to how how balanced those are. You know, yeah. I certainly regularly hear from uh, people involved in even making a small change to their house. Uh, you know, maybe a change to a bathroom and, mm-hmm. and the, the, the you know the the nightmare of trying to deal with council just to get this uh, yeah. you know some simple thing uh, approved. So you know, there are lots of lost lots of aspects mm-hmm. of um, 
of challenges, but if we use technology right, you would you would tend to think that the workflows could be uh, could be improved. Absolutely. That uh, you know the relevant places and uses of three D printing would improve over time. Yeah. You've also got um, you know virtual reality and augmented reality mm. that come into uh, come into that picture. And we've certainly seen some of the automakers yeah. uh, making very good use uh, of virtual reality mm-hmm. to uh, you know to be able to test out vehicles before you've you know before you've physically got uh, any variant of it where you can you know you can drop on your headset and mm-hmm. I you know I tried this at uh, uh, Ford in uh, in Melbourne at their R and D center um, you know, a couple of years or so ago a couple be- of years ago before it was sort of you know fully um, you know it was very high end gear mm-hmm. that you know their virtual reality setup was was you know tens of thousands of, of dollars you can do something probably quite similar now for you know a few a few thousand dollars and uh, you know I know they've been they've been working with the uh, the likes of Microsoft and and you know HoloLens to make that technology you know even more mainstream so uh, you know there's certainly certainly constant change going on yeah. but it's nice every now and then just to just to see some points where uh, where things have changed a bit and this idea of the 3D printed motorcycle yeah. and actually you know seeing seeing what they've produced uh, using locally uh, is is really good and yeah I, I mean I hope it can come in and and we see the technology improving uh, or bringing down the cost of uh, of building particularly for mm. sort of more you know commodity type housing you know there will always be a you know a high end market yeah. where uh, you know budgets aren't so constrained mm. but in terms of uh, you know enabling a, a broader uh, group of people within New Zealand to mm. own their own homes Look, I, you know, I think we should be applying technology to uh, to to look at that, Absolutely. and, and there are probably all sorts yeah. of other areas that uh, we, you know, we we which we haven't really thought of yet yeah. in terms of how how technology will uh, yeah. will will improve that. Yeah, and I'm also kind of um, just looking at the whole three D printing. I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how many New Zealand businesses start um, coming up just as a result yeah. of this technology. Just because, um, I mean, in terms of like manufacturing all of these like par- even parts of automotive um, automotive vehicles and stuff we've always been reliant on like the rest of the world essentially and then to for all of those parts to be shipped in but now with the whole power of 3d printing i think it'll be quite interesting to see which kind of new zealand businesses start kind of taking up the technology and becoming our local manufacturers and local suppliers to those parts yeah we haven't we haven't really seen uh you know too much yet of um you know i guess a sort of you know flattening yeah, of 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 the planet from that perspective of i'm here i need this and then you might be tapping into, let's say, it's you know Toyota, um, you know a link up to Japan, and where they they, they digitally you know produce a copy at your mm-hmm. local dealer of the part that you need that's generated on the spot, and you yeah. can you know you yeah. can go and uh, you know pick pick that up. Uh, and look, and you know, in some of these cases, it's probably less of an issue, but mm. we we do have you know challenges where it can take 
you know sometimes weeks for a you know a particular part to arrive and of yeah. course not everything can be 3d printed you know j- just yet but you know when when we open our our minds a little bit and mm. we start hearing about examples of you know 3d printed organs and so on yeah. um there, I mean, there, the there's, a, there's, there's a huge potential yeah. isn't there in terms of where we actually get with this technology after mm. a few years now uh jumping on to um quite a different topic a little bit of a um a Christmas treat for uh, New Zealand <laughs> travellers. Uh, Air New Zealand have uh, have turned over their uh, in-flight Wi-Fi to uh, free. all customers, yep. basically, for, for free, yep. uh, who are on their uh, their international flights. And uh, this was one that we, we covered on um, uh, one, of, one of the sites I'm involved in, uh, Travel Talk in NZ, which is New Zealand online mm-hmm. uh, travel community. And uh, Steve Biddle, who uh, write, writes um, most, my, I would say my, most of our uh, 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 top articles on there, uh, has written this one, and it got uh, got picked up actually. I think after I tweeted it on um, uh, through our NZ Tech Podcast Twitter handle, um, I saw uh, saw that got get uh, get liked by uh, Chris Keel uh, at uh, New Zealand uh, Herald. And uh, it wasn't too oh, many really? minutes later before he'd, he'd written an article <laughs> uh, about this. But the, the, I guess that the, the headline that the New Zealand Herald picked up on, mm-hmm. and um, you know, Steve wasn't trying to sort of overemphasize the point, but it, it was an interesting one. Is you know, when you've got a plane mm-hmm. which is uh, you know only got a few access points on it, it's got a, a fairly small uh, or, or a, you know limited bandwidth mm-hmm. in yeah. terms of internet connectivity. Mm-hmm. If you open that up to everyone, everyone and make it free, then down. you've got that that potential challenge that it actually grinds to a halt for yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, for people. So this is going to be is going you know be interesting. Whether you know, I guess it, it will give to Air New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, and this free period runs uh, from the beginning of December through to the end of February. So it's mm-hmm. a three month window, mm-hmm. but it will allow Air New Zealand to see just how interested are people in having uh, Wi Fi yeah, on their flights because when you give it away for free. Mm-hmm. There's that potential yeah. that a lot of people, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you imagine if everyone on board a, 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 a flight, uh, you know, two to th- two to three hundred uh, people uh, were to turn on the, the mm. Wi-Fi and then let's say they decide, oh, let's let's do a bit of YouTube because there, there is a lev- limited level of streaming that mm. you can that you can do. Um, then I imagine that suddenly it's going to uh, it's going to get very slow, and and that was really the question that uh, um, uh, that Steve was was asking is mm-hmm. well, what's going to be uh, the impact? But I yeah. think it's going to be very very interesting yeah, ex- experiment. Yeah. It's, it's probably definitely going to slow down. Um, I think everyone, if I mean, if everyone, because I know that I think there's as you mentioned, there's limited access. I mean, you're flying. Um, there's only one Wi-Fi point, or I'm not sure how it works. Yeah, I think but talking. It's, I it's think quite Steve. Lim- Mentioned about you know three three, yeah. three access plane, points yeah. on a on a, yeah. on a plane, um, so you know three hundred and forty two potential uh, you know passengers on on uh, the, the Boeing triple seven three hundred yeah. ER. Um, so yeah, if you if you slice them dice up a twenty megabit, you know roughly it might be you know, a bit more overall, but that's the most you tend to yeah. see as an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you slice and dice that up um, amongst you know even 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 a hundred you know a yeah. hundred users, uh, I I can see that. 
being a challenge. But you know, look, they will have made a, a, their their educated guess mm. on what the impact is going to yeah. be. Also, it's worth noting that a lot of other airlines have Wi-Fi on board. Some mm. of them have done uh, have given it away for free in the past. Oh, really? And in a lot of cases, they've had much slower connections than the technology that Air New Zealand has. So you know, oh. I've been on board an Emirates flight where. Mm. You know, free Wi-Fi. When yeah. when it, when I was getting the best the best result, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think it was maybe you know one point five megabits or you know something yeah, like yeah. that, um, which is, is and was pretty, that free pre- for you? Pretty or? rubbish. Um, in in that case, it was Emirates give it away free to um, you know I think their gold um, their gold sort of yeah. um, frequent flyers free to business class and free to first class. Mm, right. Um, if you know if you go through the right the right um, process and mm-hmm. you can get it free now on that that particular flight which or a couple of flights that are uh, or a few flights that I, that I've done this mm-hmm. year with Emirates and and had Wi-Fi uh, the A380 which of course you know has a pretty big capacity in terms of the number of people you could put on it mm-hmm. uh, but on uh, on those flights you could actually get a bit of visibility around how many other people were on oh, it would actually oh, really? tell you that through the web interface yeah. so you know, I seem to recall about 30 people actually actively using it right uh, so and and that was why that you know the speeds were most of the time were, were you know not, not not even hitting one you know one megabit mm-hmm. uh, because whatever their capacity was was then getting you know getting split, split up thirty people and so um, of course not everyone's using you know peak usage all mm-hmm. all at once but your usage goes up and yeah. up and down it's but it's pretty easy to use up a you know a, a fill up a slow connection yeah. so, so so on that note Paul like would you because you've already experienced Wi-Fi on planes, would you go back and pay for Wi-Fi on your next flight? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, an, uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, I guess if everybody recognises that, hey, this is free and so it's a poor experience, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that might uh, that might change. Also, they're, they're picking it at a time where it's sort of, um, it's a time where there's a lot of holiday travel, right? A lot of people travelling for leisure, so maybe less likely to be doing the sort of work stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but in actual fact, it, it's it's probably that sort of you know casual use for entertainment type purposes that yeah. might put more of a more yeah. of a load on the on the connection. I mean, personally, I've you know I've paid for connections. You know, I was on one of the very early flights uh, where Boeing uh, had had. Uh, satellite on on flights, probably going back about 15, 15 or, or more uh, years ago, and you know, look, it, w- it was interesting to have, but back then our reliance on the internet was much much lower than what it is yeah. what it is now. Uh, you know, I I think we will get to it becoming just a just a normal a normal thing on flights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, potentially. It would just be a free service. That, that's yeah. that's just part of flying, and you would you would expect, expect it. it. But yeah, you know, there's a bit of a journey for yep. us to get there. You know, at the moment, you know, we commonly see 20 megabits on those Air New Zealand flights. Uh, you know, give it a few more years, and we'll see. Uh, you 100 know, megabytes, fa- faster, faster speeds. Yep. Uh, there, are, I mean, there are challenges with with satellites as we get to these lower Earth orbit satellites. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot more, a lot more satellites uh, at at lower altitudes. Then you know th- those things will, will keep Im- Im- yeah. improving. Yeah. 
um, but it's it's expensive stuff to mm. make happen, and and it all takes time. So what we've got now is a, is a step ahead of you know what we had ten or ten or fifteen years ago oh, by sure. by a long shot. Oh, and uh, you know I think another you know ten or fifteen years mm. out we'll 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 have uh, some something you know dr- dramatically yeah. better. But I'm not yeah. sure uh, technically how how fast we'll ultimately be able yeah. to go with good, those. Uh, really with good those thing um, about in New Zealand is that. Because they made a three for three month, I think people will be much more understanding, even if it's slow. So it's probably oh. probably going to be because everyone expects Wi-Fi to be a paid thing these days. No one, not many people, do it for free. Even when I was traveling to Thailand this year, do you mean on flights? On flights, on, on flights, flights. Yeah. on flights. Yeah. Everyone yeah. kind of yeah. expect to pay, but because they made it free, people start using it. It's a pretty good testing sort of thing for in New Zealand potentially. I'm not yeah. too sure. I don't yeah. know. I, I think like I mean. Wi-Fi on flights may be a new thing, but for the average consumer, for them, it's just Wi-Fi at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, and right. Wi-Fi is kind of perceived as just like, it's even kind of seen as a right these days, right? Oh, like but not right. on the flight. So <laughs> I, don't, I actually am quite doubtful that they'll be very forgiving about the experience, especially if it's the free period has ended and they have to start paying for that, then how likely will they be to pay for that service? I think it depends on what how good of an experience that they have. It's an mm-hmm. interesting one because you, know, you spend hundreds, if not thousands on, on a flight, yeah. right? And they're asking forty dollars for, for a connection mm. between, say, New Zealand and, and and North America. And you know, we've now got those the connections up to up to Chicago, which is a uh, a pretty pretty long long flight. Although mm. a lot easier than catching a uh, you know, if you're in Chicago or nearby, catching a connecting flight to say Los Angeles and, and so on. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 good. Uh, so in that sort of case, it's probably pretty easy when you look at the cost of the overall ticket mm-hmm. to justify another another forty dollars. Yeah. It feels a a little bit um, how yeah. would I put it a little bit sort of cheeky in a way mm-hmm. that it's thirty dollars for a flight that's maybe a quarter. Uh, yeah. Of the length, because that's where say Australia, you know, right? yeah, yeah. Or, or Auckland or Wellington or Christchurch, Queenstown, uh, and and say Sydney, mm-hmm. and it's it's only only a little a little bit a uh, little bit less, little bit cheaper, yeah. Um, but but you know that's uh, that's the go that you know they've got mm-hmm. to work out how to make this work commercially for them, yeah. And you know I think at, at this stage part of the way they will have uh, likely budgeted it out mm-hmm. uh, is that they've got to get they've got to get. Uh, some return yep. and obviously they've been testing the market at all sorts of different yeah. price points and, and I honestly think like someone at Air New Zealand would have already pre-thought about all of these things oh, of course. and I honestly believe like a, a company like Air New Zealand size. like would have a bit of a strategy around this yeah. I think but there I must be a good intention a strategy it. but they don't they don't necessarily know exactly how it's going to pan out oh That's definitely true, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean no one really knows how they have to fail out, first you know mm-hmm. learn fast from failing first so yeah. uh, but yeah, I'm not too sure if airline actually wants to make money off Wi-Fi inside planes because it seems like Wi-Fi is so embedded into our lives that everyone kind of expects to have it like everywhere. Um, I mean, obviously, airplane maybe not, but yeah, I'm not too sure if they're trying to make money off it. I'm like, I, I actually would think that later on, Wi-Fi would just be part think, of yeah, your flight. flight ticket. Right? Uh, but potentially, maybe each flight ticket could just go bump, bumped up by well, maybe we still 10 got hotels yeah. that charge for Wi-Fi, right? That it's is still, true. That's, you know, we're still in the in this position. Mm. And, you know, I was involved in, in a project which would have been well, at, le- at least 15, uh, 15 years ago, 
where I went up to Silicon Valley, and we, we were, you know, we were looking at a, uh, you know, a potential business of putting uh, internet into uh, into hotels mm-hmm. uh, for for uh, for New Zealand, and that and that was it might have been more than fifteen years ago because I think it was sort of before Wi-Fi had really taken off, yeah. so it was, it was really sort of you know cabled internet connections. Uh, Not at, the dial-up at, at, at that stage. <laughs> no, Ethernet sort of connection. Uh, and here we are, all these years later, and 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 still, you know, some hotels. That's uh, that's part of you know that's part of their their money making. Mm, and models, there are lots of places in the world, uh, Australia, uh, where uh, <laughs> in, internet in hotels is uh, is an absolute shocker still. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know in New Zealand, you go to some uh, you know some little Anywhere town, and uh, you got a pretty good chance right? of getting Off. really nice fiber. You know, fiber-based yeah. internet connection right into where you are. Now, on to uh, Uber. They're uh, they're trialing um, the walk. people walking uh, <laughs> to obviously not you know carry you. There's no uh, you know having uh, having uh, individual people carried around, but at least uh, uh, taking taking lunches. So when you order or you know order your food through Uber Eats. Mm. Uh, if um, you know, if there's a possibility for somebody to to walk it from a you know, I guess a, a, a local restaurant uh, or or takeaway type place uh, to uh, to your location, we're, we're starting to uh, starting to see that uh, uh, that that happen. And look, I look back on when I first tried Uber Eats, and it was uh, maybe a year or so ahead of when mm-hmm. it launched in New Zealand. I was in uh, I was in Toronto. And that, not quite that, but certainly, um, you know, I think it was, you know, bicycle type delivery. Yeah. It may have actually been, when I think about it, that, that first delivery I got could have could have been a, a, a walked one rather than a bicycle because it was from somewhere in the local area. Yeah. Uh, they hadn't come very far. Mm-hmm. So um, you've got Uber now looking very closely at what are the different modes of transport that will be relevant in the future, uh, and of course they're a, they're an investor uh, in in line, line. along with uh, along with Google uh, Ventures, and uh, you know they they seem to be uh, you know moving moving in in the direction of whatever the the latest and greatest thing is. So you know that they, they brought up that uh, e bike uh, sharing startup uh, jump back in April for about three hundred million New Zealand yeah. uh, dollars. So you know there's there's some pretty interesting uh you know maneuvers going on in the space and i'm not sure that we've we've really seen the full picture of what um you know what transport and deliveries and so on are going to look like in the in the future uh you know they they really want to um you know have a have a a a major role uh, (laughs) in the future and and uber have certainly had the financial uh, backing and and you know they moved very quickly uh, globally. Mm. They made a, a ton of mistakes and done a yeah. lot of dodgy things. Uh, but uh, you know it does seem a, a, as though they're uh, uh, they're repositioning themselves, um, you know, re- reasonably well to have you know some uh, some long long term success. But you know you've got yeah. so many other players. You've got mm. the existing auto manufacturers who have you know been dabbling in uh, in these areas and 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 talking um, you know talking about it. And investing for some time, you got uh, the, the the Amazon, uh, well Amazon themselves, who obviously uh, you know that they have a need to get goods to people mm. uh, very very quickly, 
and then you know all sorts of uh, local players are, yeah, are, are like around the world. Yeah. system it, as well going on. I mean, it's um, we're talking here about the shared economy space. I think, um, and it's definitely something that I think we should all pay attention to because I think the world is starting to realize that we don't actually have to own a, a car. Every, not everyone has to own a car. Um, it can actually be shared, and it's a very interesting theory because if you go back like maybe five or six years ago, there, there was no way that you would share a car with someone that you completely don't you mm. know have mm. never mm. met uh, but when uber came in it's just changed everything um and in a very good way i think as a mm. very um if you look at it in a very customer perspective mm. and with mm. the new ceo coming into uber um and him i think he just recently said that you know uber is going to be the Amazon of transport, I think, uh, mm, which is, mm. is which is fascinating, <laughs> and they've invested into a lot of different things. Uh, but it, I, I think we're all finally seeing that final big picture of you know one stop app where you can actually you know order to live food, order you know potentially helicopters later on, probably cars mm. and all these things. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely a space that that we all should pay attention yeah. to see the thing is for me see, I, I love the shared economy like the whole concept of it. I love Lime like Lime's changed my life Uber's changed my life even like all the other competitors like Ola and Zumi and stuff like, they're not perfect though right they're not, I mean, they're we, not we perfect have, um, this, this morning we, you know we've got a couple of um, you know electric scooters here at the mm-hmm. office and uh, you know Wayne, who would usually be uh, he'd usually be jumping on uh, an e-scooter and, mm-hmm. and heading heading downtown. Of course, we had we had you know there were hundreds of, of lightning uh, um, you know strikes in uh, in Auckland this morning <laughs> and thunder and rain. Yeah, like hundred and forty so, lightnings in five minutes. Yeah, or something. Yeah, it was <laughs> really? nuts, right? Insane, so yeah. um, you know, there's there's definitely downsides to living in Auckland. I've, mm. I've got to say. Yeah. Um, but there, there you go. We're, um, you know, uh, this is where we are. So he was, uh, he was looking, and he said, "Oh, just, just about to uh, jump on an Uber." But uh, Paul, the price is about five times the uh, uh, the, the usual rate. Yeah. So you know, a short trip yeah. uh, down, downtown was. It does uh, put you in was, some was tough, going, tough going spots. Nuts. Like even when, when you're looking for a lime, there's been times where I've walked out the whole of Queen Street looking for a lime, and every <laughs> single time I've gone near one, someone else has just snatched oh, it. Oh, right. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it does could happen. Be a problem. So yeah. you can see where it is, but yeah. you can't actually yeah. you can't see. So so it. what they need to do there is say, Reserve. well, look, I'll I'll pay an extra. I'll pay an extra. A dollar or two dollars yeah. to to reserve, reserve it, right? Or bid on it or something. That's actually a really That's good idea. I mean, that, that, that might suit. Them. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure it's going to suit everyone else, but uh, yeah. you know, the, 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 yeah. there's all these possibilities, right? Mm. So, but, but like, just going back to the whole Uber and walking and food delivery, because I'm a foodie. Yeah, like my my mom's a chef, so I've I love my food, and one of the things that I just like. Delivering food on e-scooters makes sense. Delivering food in cars, even bicycles, e-bikes, everything makes sense. But walking, walking with my food, I just get really worried that this food is just going to turn cold and soggy. And but what Dara, I I think the CEO actually mentioned that yes, we're telling people to walk, but they're actually telling people to e-scoot. 
is basically, I think, what they're trying to say. They can use whatever mechanism yeah, so they're, they're like. They're saying yeah, that right. you should use our platform to, to you know, with all these scooters on the street and yeah. not just use cars. But then what, what happens if we run the same issue? Like, okay, I'm going to go deliver this food. It's like, oh, yeah, and then I'm my lime's <laughs> right here. I walk down <laughs> Queen Street. I walk all the way down Queen Street. I still don't have a lime. Then this what happens, the right? That's where the reservation needs to come yeah. in, I think. <laughs> the reservation yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, Another um, really yeah. interesting thing that I read about... Um, the shared economy is that um, I think the uh, Travis, who's the founder at Uber, is now starting a shared kitchen startup uh, in Korea. <laughs> and I was reading about it, and it's just fascinating. And what he was saying was, um, and he was saying basically the next Has fast he moved food to Korea. Yeah, so he's because Korea is all about delivery. It's all about delivery. And apparently, yeah. um, delivery market this year was a forty billion dollar market. By twenty thirty, it's going to be a four hundred and $30 billion market. Oh. So we're going to see a massive growth there. And Korea has always been a delivery country. Yeah, like like in every small restaurant will deliver, deliver. to your doors. You will not go out and eat. Um, and a really fascinating thing about this, um, he calls it cloud kitchen. And basically what that means is um, you don't actually have a physical shop. So he's saying the next fast food chain is not going to have a single shop, but all done on an app. And basically you just use this kitchen, cloud kitchen I'm not too sure what they would look like but I've shared certainly, kitchen certainly yeah I heard discussions yeah. around that and um, talking to um, a, a restaurant owner that, that I know around you know expanding uh, expanding their brand and one one of those possibilities is you know you, their, their food gets prepared in, else, right? in, a, in a location that yeah. doesn't have any retail yeah. frontage but you can order that mm. over, over Uber Eats and get the same as what exactly. they would have in their existing um, restaurant and um, but in the future you might not even even have you know any Kitchen, sort of yeah. you know the, the physical uh, presence so you know that's th going to be pretty interesting to see and, yeah. and then we've got the the advent of robots coming into the the you know the food that's uh, probably the cooking next step, process right? yeah. And, yeah. and so on so this is really interesting to me because you know I'm really interested in you know what will be the new jobs that come with mm, with our with you this. know the changing economy? Yeah. Obviously, as we bring in robotics and automation yeah. and driverless vehicles, then that, that takes away <laughs> yeah. you know Juices some roles. Thing. But then what also are the, what are the new roles? What yeah. are the yeah. new jobs? And, and what are the new opportunities? I have so much like? to say about that because a lot of my friends have just recently graduated from university and they're just kind of in like the whole job search process. And a lot of them have just hooked onto the juicing of limes. <laughs> yeah. Why? Um, so the juicers. Are obviously the people who Boom. take the limes yeah. home and charge it and just return it by the next morning yeah and some of my friends so they're working i think they told me that they work three to four hours a day seven days a week which is you know like less than a full-time job yeah a standard full-time job and they're uh they're currently making around i'd say around the 55 to sixty thousand dollar salary just from this <laughs> yeah. just from this juicing right <laughs> and, and i'm which which is is you know that that works, right? Yeah, that absolutely. absolutely works. Works. Yeah. I mean, it's probably more money than they would actually generate than their graduate um, entry level graduate <laughs> job that they find right straight off the university. So yeah, that that's curious <laughs> for me because, um, you know, one you you can do that without a whole a whole yeah. lot of skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm really interested a, a, as you know as some of our um, more for want of a better word robotic type type <laughs> jobs that, that can be you know can be uh, automated easier mm -hmm. you know what happens uh, f you know for tho those people whose roles disappear 
but there is potentially a, um, a, a negative side mm. to that as well is that whilst Lime might, might pay that at the moment, mm. of course, because they need to make sure that they've got plenty of people to make the system work, mm. over time, potentially, those, those the, the, you know, they can manipulate those prices and, and, yeah. and change them. And we've seen that with the, the likes of Uber yeah, and, yeah. and Lyft and, yeah. and the like. And I actually uh, think Lime Where actually, they, they adjust mm. those, those, those numbers sort of up and yeah. down, uh, you know, they, they, they may be... You know, increase how much the uh, the price is that mm. riders pay, and that obviously in- increases what goes to the drivers. Mm. Then, in another market where they've maybe got uh, too many drivers, then they start bringing uh, bringing the price the price whole, prices down, right? Kind of thing, uh, so right? there's there's yeah. some there's some you know genuine challenges mm. that. Will be have to, we will have to address over time, and then there's that uh, you know lack of employment rights that you yeah. get when you're you're just you know in this gig economy and you're mm. getting you know paid to do you know one dollar to do one thing or you know whatever that that is yeah. um, you know how how that sort of balances yeah. out. But uh, all things that we'll we'll figure out over the next few years. Now, <laughs> uh, cybersecurity. There's there's always a whole lot going on in this area, and. Um, uh, I've sent a report from uh, Semantic uh, and one from Unisys. Haven't um, had time to really take in all of the uh, all of the different learnings. So we'll cover this a, a bit more probably over the over the next uh, week or two. Uh, but there were there were a couple of uh, sections in the Semantic uh, report that jumped out at me. One was uh, as we move to five G mobile networks mm-hmm. uh, that. That's going to um, basically enable more and more Internet of Things type, you know, type yep. devices. Mm. Where, where anything uh, gets gets exposed uh, to the internet uh, directly, and you know, we already see line bikes, and we talked about that on the show, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, where where there's potentially some actually major mm. issues from a cybersecurity issue with those line bikes and with with other e-scooters, and that that um, you know, five G will will just help increase the the attack surface you know and the number of devices and when it when it becomes so easy and mm. so cheap to connect something uh, to the internet mm. uh, you know I think people will will connect up things that in mm. the past we wouldn't have imagined and you yeah. know looking 10 years ago to mm-hmm. uh, imagine that a that a little uh, scooter that you can walk in and buy in a store for mm. uh, six hundred dollars or or rent for you know, Two dollars uh, would w- would have an internet connection in it, be able to be located on a on a map, you know, instantly, and so on. Probably wasn't, you know, Something what we what imagined. we were all thinking about. Yeah, but yeah. you know, that that's really just a, a taste of uh, of of where we're heading, right? So, yeah. um, some, some real challenges from yeah. a cybersecurity uh, p- perspective. Because I there. think it's like kind of like having your email hacked was probably like a really big problem that a lot of individuals are facing. But the impact of that versus having like your car hacked or right. even your house hacked into it's, it's a completely different um, level of impact, like the negative impact that it will bring, right? Well, you know, if, if it's the vehicle that, 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 you're, that you're in and, uh, you know, a competitor doesn't want you to get to, uh, you know, present a competing uh, bid, <laughs> 
uh, at a company or someone is very malicious mm. and wants to cause you, you know, Some dam- form of jeopardy, damage, yeah. accident, etc. Uh, you know, th- th- these sorts of possibilities yeah. just, you know, become easier and easier, probably become mm. uh, harder to, uh, to, to trace. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's certainly, I think, a fair, a fair number of uh, fair number of concerns. The other mm. um, head, headline uh, that I saw in, in in Semantics report, we you know we see these reports usually uh, you know come through on an annual basis, and and other ones uh, during uh, during the year was they were talking about uh, defenders uh, being becoming more dependent. On uh, artificial intelligence to uh, to counter attacks and uh, and also identity um, and and also you know yeah countering or dealing with attacks and identifying uh, vulnerabilities and I mm-hmm. think that's something we've certainly uh, you know al- already been uh, been seeing. And really, they're talking around the success of artificial intelligence mm. in uh, in finding cybersecurity uh, issues, and so that's it's going to be quite uh, you know quite fascinating to mm. see uh, the role of artificial intelligence because you know if you uh, you know for the, for those that are uh, involved in the world of of IT, there are mm. so many things that fill up. You know, logs logs today. Not you know, not just from a security perspective, but mm-hmm. you know, you get all sorts of uh, alerts. And you know, reality is, there's just there's so much information that uh, you know individuals po- can't possibly you know analyze everything yeah. that's coming through. So we will have to become more reliant on artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. Uh, and then you know, I guess it will it'll 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 come down to. Uh, um, you know those those who are trying to break into systems mm-hmm. doing it in these sort of cunning ways that maybe the AI hasn't been designed to uh, yeah. to detect yet, mm. right? Yeah, AI is just oh, it's fascinating because like everyone talks about it, but then not many people actually realize where we're using it. Like I know that um, for Google Photos, I think um, Google pretty much created that app to test their AI to detect what's inside the photo and stuff but not many people actually use Google Photos knowing that there is an AI that is being used on my photos so and it knows everything everything about Mm. you yeah who you hang out with you know there's Um, there's some pretty you know potentially you know sinister things knowing that that information yeah. is out there, and and not just with a government, but with a you know private, a, with a private, private entity, company. and it's not just Google. You know, obviously, you know, f- Facebook have have all sorts of information. Uh, you know, Microsoft with their OneDrive and so on. So you know, we have a we have a huge amount of trust, Damn. and we often don't you know mm. don't put two and two together to realise what's possible. And then you know, there, there's the um, the the states that are you know starting to uh, starting to have have all sorts of uh, uh, you know, da- data on us, you know, mm. and uh, and get varying results. Now, a couple of other things before we dive into uh, to chat about uh, niche. Uh, there, there was a um, an article that uh, Bill Bennett put up on um, on his blog uh, probably a week and a half ago. We we didn't have a chance to uh, to talk about it uh, last week. Maybe a couple of weeks ago um, was the ar- arrival of a company called. Uh, uh, Dense Air yes, in New Zealand, uh, um, UK-based uh, entity, and they've bought up a chunk of wireless spectrum 
in New in New Zealand. Uh, some from um, Malcolm Dick's uh, business, uh, Blue Blue Reach, uh, and some from uh, from. Uh, Cayman uh, Wireless, which is is part of um, Craig Wireless, uh, and and they've bought up. They've got I think they've got rights to uh, seventy megahertz of um, spectrum, and uh, what the what the potential is here uh, is for for them to. Um, uh, be using using the spectrum uh, in conjunction uh, with maybe smaller um, smaller cell sites. So, uh, you know, I haven't bounced through my head all of, all of the possibilities mm-hmm. on you know on how this uh, could get utilised. But uh, I don't know. You you might imagine uh, a scenario where there's small cell sites going inside a mall. And maybe they would use some of their uh, their spectrum to put a cell site, and then uh, you know give access to say all of the mobile networks mm-hmm. to uh, uh, you know to utilise that. For instance, um, I think you know sports stadiums and 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 so on. Um, there's also the 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 potential, and we'll see this with uh, with five G for more mm. uh, you know private types of uh, of of mobile networks, and of course five G can be uh, sliced and diced up in in varying ways, so they're obviously pretty convinced that they've got a um, you know that they've got a a, a good use case yeah. uh, here, and so yeah, it's going to be a, a curious one to watch, and uh, certainly uh, when Bill's next back on 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 the show. Um, we, we we may end up diving in a, a, a little bit more on uh, on that one. Uh, the the other thing of of interest in in the past few days, Microsoft uh, published a a, a a blog post revealing you know where they were at with this. Uh, concept of being able to move away from from passwords. from, from passwords and and we've known you know to a degree you know on a lot of phones we can um, you know we can log in with a you know face detection or mm. uh, you know finger fingerprint uh, scanning and and you know in the Apple world um, you know face ID or, or touch ID and then you know varying variations across um, you know other platforms, mm. be it Microsoft's uh, surfaces or, or you know Android devices and so on. Um, but Microsoft have um, have have uh, adopted this the standards based um, FIDO two um, security um, key uh, technology, and so you can use these devices. Uh, um, basically, in conjunction with um, Edge browser and I think Windows and so on uh, now, and uh, I think Office, Office three six five coming there yeah. into the into the picture mm-hmm. as well, uh, whereby basically you're using this device entirely, so you could you would not have a password. Mm-hmm. At all for logging into certain uh, devices yep. or, or yep. services, so there is no, you know, fallback uh, to to a password. You could, you know, potentially get to that point where, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- those risks uh, disappear entirely. Yep. So, I mean, we're 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 at the the 
earlier stages of this, but I think yep. you know we've all got you know quite used to multi-factor authentication yeah. and and um, you know need, needing another mechanism because mm-hmm. our passwords aren't aren't so safe yeah. any longer. But the thing is, right? Um, the thing with passwords is yes, they're much less secure than your fingerprints and like your face facial recognition and stuff. But um, th- I think the one benefit that the password has is the ability to be changed. <laughs> so once, you, once your password's been hacked, at least you have the option to go and change your password. But like, if we're, if we're talking fingerprints right now, I mean, yeah, I mean, surely, surely there's a very low risk of getting your fingerprint um, hacked into. But once it is hacked once, like your fingerprints are something that you can't change. It's something that's innate with you, right? So that, that's just kind of like the slight concern that I have. Like, so where do we... Yeah, how? What does that mean in terms of like th- ongoing permanent security? Because are you, you know, when you w- when you walked in here and uh, and you grabbed the the door oh, handle. No. <laughs> so, yeah. so, sorry, guys. Uh, you know, it's just I'm, been I'm really I'm really looking forward to your business being incredibly successful. Um, yeah, I've got a very good retirement plan, um, and uh, yeah, we've had some quite successful people through the doors. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's certainly some considerations. We don't really have time time to you know dive into mm. it too much but um, you know I guess we, you know we're talking here um, ab- about using uh, things like the you know physical um, security keys from um, uh, Ubico and, and and the like that support that standard and uh, you know it's probably a combination of a you know a key you know in conjunction with say a, a you know a fingerprint reader mm. um, or you know a, a 3d sort of you know facial uh, scan and where that data is kept locally mm. uh, you know I, I certainly do have concerns around uh, this this move of, of uh, biometric data away from being an encrypted local storage in mm-hmm. a device uh, to that going into the cloud but you know even something being encrypted in a in a device, you know, there's varying levels of confidence Absolutely. as to you know even just how how secure that is. So uh, yeah, it's I mean it's it's a good point, right? You know, it's pretty hard to sign up for a new face yeah. uh, or, or or a new fingerprint. There's, there's you know there's a few people in the world that have done it, but mm. um, you know, I, and I've got to say it's um, you know it's it's certainly. Uh, appreciated by those that have got it, but I don't yeah. think it's something that the general public will be uh, uh, wanting to sign up for. No, you uh, don't really any, want that to any, be the any, norm, right? soon. Yeah, uh, little, little, little on the cost, uh, the cost <laughs> implications, right? Um, now, one one gadget that uh, just got my hands on in the last few days is uh, the DJI Osmo Pocket. Now, I'm in a in a somewhat unfortunate position that this device is bricked now when I say bricked some people will be familiar with that term and I'm I'm exaggerating a, a little bit but um, but my DJI Osmo pocket is not uh, activated yet but what it is is it's a very small uh, four uh, 4k uh, camera that can do 60 frames per second and um, it it uh, it sits on a little gimbal. The whole thing goes into a into a little pouch that you can put in your pocket. It's thicker than a uh, smartphone, but you know, other than that, the the package is actually uh, smaller than a than a smartphone package. Launches uh, on the. Oops, I need to turn it off if I'm going to try and. Uh, <laughs> 
slide it away. Uh, launches on the 15th of December. Looks like this is going to be huge competition for, for GoPro oh, because it's got that tiny little gimbal that you can hold in hold in your hand mm. uh, as well as a really, really good uh, 4K video mm. camera and still camera. Uh, and not as wide field as the GoPro, so not a, not as wide angle, mm-hmm. but that in some ways, in a lot of cases, is probably actually gives you a, a better result depending on right. on what you want. I yeah. mean, I, I've been enjoying some of the newer smartphones that give you a choice of a wide angle camera, yeah, sure. mm-hmm. normal camera, two times or, or, or three times uh, type view. Uh, Huawei uh, with their Mate Twenty Pro is is has been I've been given a lot of use lately, and that that combination they've got is. Mm-hmm really nice because you kind of you know basically got three different cameras that are yeah. that are built into one uh they haven't gone to to that extent with the um uh the osmo uh pocket uh but it is something that comes in similar price to the the the, the newest uh top end uh, gopro mm-hmm. and uh I, I think it's probably already had an impact on the share price of of gopro who've been wow. you know who have been struggling so now now you've got you know uh uh shenzhen really? china Based yeah. uh, DJI uh, encroaching on uh, you know Silicon Valley based uh, uh, GoPro and um, yes that's going to be an interesting one to uh, to see play out but I can imagine that you know this could well be another example of mm-hmm. where uh, you know Chinese company that's able to do all the R and D mm-hmm. manufacture that you know they've built a brand that already you know is dominating Absolutely. Uh, people love in, you know in, 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 in their space already with with the drones uh, and what they've done already with with gimbals uh, you know that, that, you know potentially we'll, we'll see GoPro in a few years just being one of their sub brands because they you know they, they bought it up as the as the company's share price collapsed you know mm. who knows um, <laughs> but you know we, we've got some interest interesting times ahead now time to talk about um, niche yep. so look you know I've been seeing some of the media coverage out there around um, you know what what you guys have been uh, been working on mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear a, a little bit more you know w- w- where did niche start um, you know what why do why do students need a um, a, a platform to jump on board with we've already got Facebook million other apps mm-hmm. and, and and websites so yeah, uh, yeah how's uh, you know how's, yeah. how does how does that story look yeah sir we'll, we'll take you through the story but just to give you a quick explanation of what niche actually is so we're the uh, fastest growing student platform in New Zealand and our community pretty much sits on one app called the niche app yeah um, so there's two purposes of the niche app the first purpose is to pretty much just make student life easy just improve the New Zealand student experience. Um, and then the second mission that we have as a company is to help brands, our local and nationwide kind of companies, connect and build a real genuine relationship with the student audience. What do you mean? Spamming them? No, not necessarily. <laughs> right? I mean, actually, I'd say spamming them is probably closer to what you would see on other platforms right, where all of right. these different companies So where brands to are trying to engage through sort of yeah. Facebook and Exactly. And, so, and like, so, I mean, right? you, you probably have used YouTube quite a lot, Paul. So do you watch all of your ads? <laughs> uh, that's a, a question that I think it would be fair to say I probably fall into 
the typical category of mm-hmm. you know wanting skip to skip past ad, them. Right? Yeah. Uh, although I do keep getting constant ads by uh, by Google to sign up for you know U- YouTube Red, mm-hmm. and um, it's become such an automatic response to skip past yeah. it. I haven't actually thought for a while about whether I should actually be be paying for it because it's yeah. just become a, a, a normal reaction just <laughs> yeah. to say skip I'm not interested yeah. and, and the thing is I think the reason that a lot of people skip um, the ad on YouTube and pretty much don't really register the sponsored ads that they see on um, platforms like Facebook and Instagram is because they're not on that platform to see communications from these companies they're on like the reason you go onto Instagram on, or Facebook is to kind of look at memes, look at some really nice photos, have a good time, have some fun, right? Um, and honestly, when you see an ad during that experience, in the middle of that experience, it just feels like it's kind of disrupting that flow, disrupting the experience. And the real difference between those platforms and our platform is that students come on to our platform for the pure intent of looking at these ads from our companies. And I think that's the real Do people difference. go onto a platform to look for ads. You'll you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. Yeah, I um, think. Well, uh, run run us through what are, yeah. what are some of those examples? Because you have a you have a kind of a you know a um, a, a discount type facility for brands yeah, where people yeah. will come on. And I guess in you know in those regards, maybe it's um, you know they're they're wanting to order some food or you know whatever the you know the, the other uh, things are I guess in that case then yeah. they might well be looking for an ad of you know where, where's a local place to go and get lunch where's the biggest promotion that's, going that's, on today uh, you know got a nice uh, nice deal on for a, you know a good a good lunch mm-hmm. and um, you know you might go and try out some tacos or um, something you, you were talking about bubble tea actually before we <laughs> before we started that yeah. uh, you know you, you've got a you've got, um, uh, you know a, a client there where obviously you're, you're getting that interest from, mm. from students uh, as as well as, you know, a brand that, you know, it's sort of coming off good for, yeah. you know, both both sides. Absolutely. Right? And, and I think, like, that's the thing. I think, like, the advertisement is probably not the right word or, like, the perfect word to describe sure. the types of communications that we see on our platform. But essentially, if you look at our app, it's kind of been modeled off WeChat. In China, um, in the sense that our whole app and the vision that we hold is all about centralization. It's all about creating a one-stop shop solution where it's just like quite convenient for students. Because if you imagine in we, uh, with WeChat, you can do anything that you want that in China, probably through the WeChat app. Like, I think you can even order your dog to be groomed. You can pay for your purchases, all of these things. And the power is really in centralization and the fact that it's one solution. And so what we've centralized is, I mean, you've mentioned the student discounts. Yes, the student discounts are definitely one very um, attractive part of our platform. But it goes a lot further than that. Like, So on our platform, we've got like student jobs, including part-time jobs and graduate jobs so that students can find work during and after their studies. We've got events, events that we run as a company and events that other brand partners run that students should really be aware of um and we've even, we even do some crazy things. Like, I mean, two months ago, we actually ran an amazing race around Auckland City where st- uh, students got into teams and then the, they completed different challenges around the landmarks of Auckland. And then the winning team was given a free uh, return Kentucky tour to Europe. So, like, those are the kinds of different crazy things that are all pertain to student life. And then we kind of put it into one platform for students. So when students, you know, go, are going through student life and they're like, oh, I want to do 
this, whether it be like going out to eat with their friends, whether it be going out on a Friday night to hang out with their friends, like all of these different things, we've got a solution for them that will give them value ultimately. Right, but but focused in you know your niche right now is mm-hmm. the, is is very much the students. So you're looking yes. for things that are that are that are relevant to, to their lives yeah, and absolutely. Uh, and and with our. So you do that through an app rather than through a website. It's just it's a mobile thing they can get at, at a you know yeah. drop drop of a hat. Um, and how does it work with the discounts? You know, how does how does somebody, uh, you know, if they they walk, you know, they, they see something on there, mm-hmm. um, and they want to get that discount? How does yeah. how does that process um, so ba- work? Because you've got some, you're yeah. getting you're getting stats. You know, oh, every yes, time absolutely, somebody absolutely. Uh, takes a discount, yeah, so absolutely. it's not just a generic code yeah. mm-hmm. that somebody shows something on their phone. There's actually yeah, an action no, that absolutely. takes place. So one of the things that I think we do really well um, compared to some of the other sort of players in, in, in the field is that we're fully technology company so we love that data and we, and we <laughs> actually believe that is the future for our clients um, in the next couple of years um, we have to provide them with uh, insights into what what really works for them in the student space um, so essentially what we do with our deal is that uh, students basically you know search up whatever brand that they want to look into they look at what sort of discount they want to use they go to the shop and then they pretty much show the the person that this is the deal um and then they should usually have a they should usually have a qr stand and you scan it with the phone which will give well provide well we'll track exactly how many students so you know every time somebody scans everything about them who they are and that data you can sort of yeah put that together Hmm. hopefully in a way that's not not too scary for the for the individual student but oh oh, definitely not but it it gives value back to to that brand that they're willing to maybe Mm. give a discount that you know they might not might not have given otherwise because they're actually able to you know maybe test out new products new promotions get a get a feel for what's happening in the the market Um, kind of like, oh, yeah, sorry. one one thing I do want to mention is that we, you know, like with the, all the Facebook issues and stuff, we, we've got no intention in it. selling the data. Is usually just showing the advertisers or clients that this is where you should focus on. So, give you an example, uh, we can pretty much tell these businesses that 4 p.m. is when a lot of students engage with your brand, uh, with with your product, um, and 50 percent or well, 58 is actually a bad example, maybe 80% are actually females and 20 is male. Um, so we give them a breakdown of what sort of students are actually engaging with your brand, mm. which is a quite a valuable data because from uh, us working with a lot of food, fast food chains, um, they've actually picked up on some of the things that they've never actually been able to find out, such as their peak house for students during which shop. Um, so for example, BK has three different shops on Queen's, on Queen Street, they can't really figure out which shop is the most engaging sort of shop with students, but we can find those things out for them, which I think a lot of um, our clients find value in. Yeah. And the flip side of that is value for students, because by us giving more insight to businesses and helping them understand their target ba- customer base and making sure that we shape their communications towards the right target audiences by by default the students who are targeted obviously get a lot of value out of it because they are already engaging with that brand mm-hmm. but the students who are quite irrelevant to the brand then potentially don't have the need to be spammed as you said like mm-hmm. there is there we just kind of want to make sure that every single student has a very customized experience through our app that's just kind of catered towards what their interest where their interests lie mm. and i think that and, and i 
fully agree with Jay. I think data is the key mm. in driving that. Yeah, well, uh, look, you know, it sounds like you you're doing some um, you know some some good stuff with with <laughs> that data. Um, obviously. You know, I hope you'll be you'll be careful. Uh, there's you know cybersecurity <laughs> challenges and and, and and so on that yep. can be hard to address as a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, now you've had some uh, some some funding. Who, yep. Who's funded you so far? How does that look? Um, so it's it's looking really good. Uh, we had a really good publicity <laughs> on. Uh, we had some really good uh, publicity on New Zealand Herald the other week. Um, so basically, we received funding from Bill Smale. Um, he's a uh, a very active sort of property investor, I, I'm sure, uh, because of his name. C- certainly a lot of people in, in Auckland know Smell Smell Farm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to let you know, we've got no associ- uh, we've got no connection with Smell's Farm yeah, and yeah. Niche directly. It's hmm. it's our investor happened to be one of the one of the major shareholders there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's Bill Smell that invested into our business. Hmm. Um, we raised uh, one million dollars um, at ten million valuation. Um, and pretty much got the plan to use that fund to uh, expand our service nationwide Mm. and really help um, students outside of Auckland as well now. Mm. And one of the things that I think the article, I I was hoping the article would mention, is is exactly why Bill is quite so aligned with our business. And and the fact is Bill is actually a QSM, which is a Queen Service Medal recipient for his, um, so he's been recognized by by the Queen, by the Queen in England for his contribution to education. So Bill's been um, actively involved in the education space for like the last three to four decades. and, and hence, that's the reason why we, there was a huge synergy and alignment between Bill and our company and our vision. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably something that the article probably failed to mention on that day. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's probably a lot more we, we could delve into. Mm. And, you know, look, I think it'd be interesting to chat to you, you know, to you. Um, bit further down the track in, oh, yeah, in, in your journey and that might fit for our New Zealand business podcast yeah. to sort of hear a, you know, a, a bit more of the startup story yeah. but you know it's really really exciting that you've got that uh, uh, that funding and, and that you're you're growing and you know look I know you're not the only uh, player in this space so you know good good to see a bit of uh, a bit of competition uh, oh, go, yeah, absolutely. going on <laughs> yeah, and, and we're really excited because I guess the whole investment really for us means that we now have the capacity to really take our services nationwide mm. so yeah i mean how many how many members do you have at the moment that are sort of signed up on the platform so currently we're looking at thirty six thousand students um but hopefully with the national rollout that's actually beginning in february of 2019 so rather soon we're ambitiously aiming for hopefully a hundred thousand by the end of next year Impressive. Well, yeah. best best of luck uh, with that. Uh, Thanks, Paul. Great to meet you, Jay mm-hmm. and, and you James. Yeah, it's a pleasure um, to be here. Now, so if people that are wanting to uh, wanting to connect in, in in some way, what's the what's the best way to get in get in touch? Uh, usually, LinkedIn uh, works really well. Um, I am a, a lot more casual on on Instagram. Um, I don't usually check Facebook these days. Um, I do use it time to time, usually for mm. groups. But yep. yeah, um, best way for for someone to hit me up is usually LinkedIn or Instagram. Excellent. Um, yeah. You're good. Well, people yeah. will be able to find your details. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. On the Should NZ be easy. podcast site. Yeah. And uh, and and go from there. Well, thanks very much for being on the show. No, thanks. Uh, thanks for having us, Paul. Thank my you. My pleasure. And thanks everybody for uh, listening in. We'll catch you uh, again uh, next week. We've got uh, we've got some pretty pretty interesting uh, things already lined up for uh, uh, for uh, for next week. 
uh, I think we've got Ben uh, Ben Bodley back on the show from uh, Technique, uh, who who's an entrepreneur that uh, you know travels the world and uh, uh, has has done some uh, some some pretty interesting things. So looking forward to getting an update from uh, from from Ben on uh, on what him and him and his team have uh, have been up to over the last little while. All right, thanks everyone. See you next week. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.